We're going to turn in God's Word now to our reading this morning, um, which uh, we're going to have two. We'll look at the Matthew one a wee bit later on, sorry if that's okay. So we'll just look at the Genesis one first, and that's Genesis chapter 3, reading from verse 1 down to verse uh, 13. And that should be on about page 2 or 3 of your, your pew Bible, but also on the screens before you as well. And then we'll get to, to our Matthew passage later on in our sermon. That's Genesis chapter 3 from verse 1 down to verse 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the voice. I heard the sound of you in, in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Amen. And may God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. So as I said at the beginning of our service this morning, we're looking at the subject of, of shame, which in some ways can be a bit of a, a heavy subject. But actually, what I, what I pray happens this morning, as we look at what can be a, a heavy and hard subject for us, um, spiritually, but even emotionally, that actually that, that as we engage, that the God by His Spirit and His grace and His mercy would bring freedom to each one of us. We spoke a wee bit a few weeks ago about wanting to go deeper in the things of God. And again, I think this is something that as we look as a church to want to go deeper into what God has for us, as we look to be effective for Him, to stand as His bride, to be used by Him, that actually this is a subject that I think that we need to engage with. And this morning I want to do some teaching on the subject of shame. And as we do, we pray that the Holy Spirit, you know, friends, my words are merely words. But what we pray is that the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to our hearts. And as we look at this topic of shame, that actually, that we don't feel ashamed. Actually, what we feel is freedom. We feel liberated. And actually, we feel the goodness of God upon us. As we will see this morning from shame that it is a consequence of sin. Shame is a consequence of sin. You can see it's a fruit of sin. And that ultimately, that Jesus took not just our sin at the cross, but he dealt with our shame as well. The, the, the sermon title comes from that well-known hymn, Man of Sorrows, Bearing Shame and Scoffing Rude. 
in my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah, what a savior. It wasn't just our sin that Jesus dealt with, but he dealt with our shame as well. But I think so many of us, we carry, we, we, we understand from a kind of justification that being made right with God point of view. Yet I, I've said the, the sorry, I've said that prayer of repentance, and I believe that God has forgiven me. But, but actually, I still feel guilt. I still feel dirty. I still feel ashamed of things that I've done in my life. And I pray this morning that as we journey together, that actually God removes that from us. And then actually we enter into the fullness of our salvation and the freedom that Jesus won for us. So this morning, very briefly, I want to look at how sin came into the world and we see from it that why shame exists, why shame is a thing. The passage we've read from Genesis 3 is a vital passage about the kind of the story of humanity, about how sin entered the world. The first two chapters of Genesis have seen uh, complete perfection. Things have been great. Things have been really good. They've known communion with God. They've they've lived in, in this amazing, perfect place, what we could call a paradise. And then Genesis 3 comes. It's perfect and it's peaceful. It's utterly beautiful, Eden. And then chapter 3 comes and it's like running into a brick wall. They've been living in unity as one flesh before God, listening only to God's voice. God's voice was the only voice that they knew and that they heard other than one another's. Living and loving God. Loving God was as natural for Adam and Eve as breathing was. That, that, That is how beautiful and perfect this place they lived in. Communion with God was as natural for them as breathing is for us. We don't think about taking our next breath. We just, we just do it. And that is how Adam and Eve lived. That's how they lived with God. It was just, it was just this thing that, that, that was perfect. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. It was natural. They were both naked physically, but also spiritually as well. That means that there was no need for clothes and there was no barrier. There was nothing between them and God. There was nothing clothing them. They're actually just new perfect communion. Then, then we read about this serpent, this, this snake under the control of Satan. We read in Scripture that the serp, serpent here is the devil himself. It is Satan himself. And he, he comes to, to Eve and he begins to talk. And we don't see Eve going, oh my word, there's a talking snake. But actually, and again, we're not going to get into this morning, but maybe they lived in perfect communion and unity even with, with, with animals. Maybe us not being able to speak to animals is a consequence of, of, of sin. I don't know. But Eve wasn't surprised when a snake slithered up and started to, to, to speak to her. But anyway, I digress. But what we see is that Satan comes and, and he, he seeks to question and undermine God's authority as he still does. And we're going to look at this again in more de- depth next week as we look at temptation and how we deal with it. But what, Satan, what the serpent says is, did God actually say? A question that so many are still asking. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God really say there's only two genders? Did God actually say these things? Yes. Read his word. His word is truth. His word is life. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And in doing so, Satan distorts God's truth. Because that's what he does. He comes and he takes what's truthful and he, he twists it and he distorts it and he makes it nearly true. Did God actually say you, must, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, that's not really what God said. 
Let's look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. There's bounty. Every tree in the garden is yours, Adam. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, in some ways, yes, God did single out one tree that you, you can't eat from. But that's not how God communicates this to Adam. What God does is look at my bounty. Look at all these trees that you can eat from, Adam. There is a vast array of fruit and tree that you can have, Adam. But there is one that you can't touch. If you touch that one, you will surely die. And Satan distorts God's truth. And he looks to undermine God. You see God in speaking to Adam, he's showing his generosity. What Satan tries to do is he tries to go show God's strictness. It's so simple and subtle, but it's so effective to the way we, we perceive things. You can eat of every tree, just accept that one. And as Satan asks this question to Eve, he places doubt in Eve's heart. And when Eve recalls what God has said, we just read from Genesis 2, but as Eve recalls what God has said in verses 2 and 3, we may eat of the, trees of, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God actually say that? See, shall you touch it? You shall die. See, she's already been beginning to twist, and, and she's looking through this through the lens of Satan rather than the glorious lens and the bounty and generosity of, of God. Her focus is now coming off God's graciousness and generosity and is now beginning to shift onto God's strictness. And before long, she's been told by Satan in verses 4 and 5 that God merely didn't want you to eat of that tree because if you eat of, eat of it, you will, you will know good and evil. You will be like him. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And friends, that pull on our hearts to be like God has been the pull that every human has struggled with since Adam and Eve ate of this fruit. That is the thing that we struggle with most is that I want to be the God of my own life. You'll be like God. And friends, so many sadly are still striving to be like God. Small g, be gods of their own life. My way. Do you know, it's, it's funny if, even as I say that, I think of, of, of funerals that I've taken, have been far too many in the last number of years, but so many of them that, that as I, down at the crematorium, do you know, if I was to say that the, the song that I probably hear the most in the crematorium outside of Christian music would be Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I, I did it, that, 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 that has been the, the, the desire of humans' hearts for their whole lives. I did it my way. As long as you do you, you be good, that's all that matters. Absolutely not. You'll be like God. I did it my way. Friends, you should be striving to do it God's way, because God's way is life. And look what happened in verse 7. As Adam and Eve eat from this fruit, their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See what happened when Adam and Eve did it their way rather than God's way? And in that moment, as they eat 
from that one tree that God said you can't eat from, sin enters the world. The covenant, the promise, the relationship between God and man is now broken because man has rejected God and he's gone his own way. They've broken God's word. They've broken God's command. They've broken God's law. And now sin separates and is a barrier. Like I said, they were, they were naked both physically and spiritually before God, but now there is a barrier. Sin has now covered them spiritually. They can't get near God. And what is the first thing that they feel in verse 7? They've realized that they were naked. If you look at just the end of chapter 2, verse 25, it's meant to stand and it's a contrast between verse 7 and chapter 3. This isn't the perfect bounty and amazingness of Eden. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. But now they've eaten. They've eaten the fruit. They've sinned. And now, what is it they feel? They feel ashamed. Shame comes. Shame is now something that they, they know that they've never experienced in their lives before. They were both naked and were not ashamed at the end of, of, of chapter 2 in this perfect garden of Eden. But now sin comes. They realize that they're naked. They're, they're, they're standing bare before one another. So before sin happened, they were naked. Nakedness was the norm. And maybe some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, thank the Lord for sowed fig leaves. <laughs> but, <laughs> but all, and, and check shirts, but ch- joking aside, verse 25 shows us that they were naked and, and they, they didn't feel shame. Why? Because their eyes were so focused on God that actually they knew nothing other than the beauty and the presence of, of their, their, their heavenly father and oneness of flesh between each other and the amazing perfection that was Eden. But sin comes and now they feel shame. What happens? Sin comes and friends, shame is a result of sin. The Hebrew word here in verse 25 at the end of chapter 2 means that they felt no shame. It meant, it's meant to stand, it, when we read it, it's meant to like hit us like a, you know, a stone between the eyes. It's meant to, oh man, there's a difference here. It's a contrast. Such a contrast. One is the, the picture of the pinnacle of innocence at the end of chapter 2, and the other conveys them in a pit of despair and guilt. Sin is now they're experienced, they're separated, they're fearful, they're afraid. These are the consequences of sin. And friends, we hear sermons about Jesus taking our punishment, and I use that big word justification, about being made right with God, and many of us were okay with that because we can kind of maybe begin to grapple with it and grasp it, that, that you know, God forgives me, and, you know, Jesus took my punishment, that, that I'm not going to go to lost eternity anymore, that, 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 that God's presence forevermore, my dwelling place shall be, you know, like it's going to be with Him forever, and I, and I get that, but, but until then, I still feel the imprint of sin in my life. I still feel the dirtiness of the things that I've done. We know that 
Jesus has dealt with the wages of sin, that he's appeased God's wrath. But many of us still live life with, with shame of sin, don't we? If we're honest, we do. And how does that manifest itself? Well, <clears throat> many of us ask questions about, how can God forgive me? How can God forgive me when, when I can't forgive myself? If only people knew I pray that that no one ever finds out about that thing that I did. Friends, those things, that's shame. That's shame. And it's heavy. And it's oppressive. And it chains us. Shame can manifest itself in a limited life as a believer in this world. Because we continue to carry stuff that, that Jesus has dealt with. You know, friends, it's like if I had stuff in, this, in my rucksack and, you know, you know I, I'm a sinner and, and things have gone bad. And, you know, I, oh, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for, for, I'm sorry for that thing that I did. I'm sorry for, for that addiction that I had. And, and, I, and I take it to the cross and, you know, I, I put it down and, you know, thank you, God, that you've forgiven that. And thank you, God, that you've, you've forgiven this. And, and then... Do you know what? I end up still carrying this thing around with me. And I still feel the imprint of sin. I know that Jesus has dealt with it, that I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. I'm still carrying it with me. And what God wants us to do is to go, you know, I give it all to Jesus. I don't carry any of it anymore. It's all him. He took it all. Why? So that I don't have to carry that weight upon me anymore. Friends, none of us deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. There will not be one follower of Jesus in heaven who deserves to be there. We all get there on the merit of grace and mercy. And shame in in Scripture is linked to guilt. That's what it's linked to. It's linked to guilt. Nakedness becomes shameful for God's people when sin entered the world because it was associated with guilt. They now felt guilt in their lives. They'd never felt that before, but they feel it now. An example of this is is when Noah is found naked by his sons just after Noah's ark. And it's the issue that's meant to happen, we're going to see, is that it points to, to guilt and, and guilt for, for, for the, the people of, of God, for, for the Hebrews, its shame is linked to guilt. So the first Adam, he sins, and shame becomes something that we carry as, God, as God's people who've been made in God's image. We carry it with us. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. If people knew, if people understood, you know, I come to church and how are things? Yeah, they're fine. And you know what? We, we, we can't tell people the truth because we'd be frightful and fearful that if they only knew really who I was or what I'd done, they'd want nothing to do with me. The first Adam covered himself because of his shame. And Jesus in the New Testament, friends, he's referred to as the second Adam. And he came to undo the wrong that the first Adam did. The first Adam sins and covers himself in fig leaves because of his sin, his guilt, and his shame. Whereas the second Adam, Jesus, he uncovers himself of his glory. He lays it aside. 
But we're going to go on and read our second passage this morning in Matthew 27. And this is what the second Adam did for you. You see, he didn't just deal with the stuff at the cross. See all the passion narrative? He's undoing the stuff that Adam did so that you can be free. Why do we think we read verses like this in Matthew 27, verse 27? Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail King of the Jews. They spat on him. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. You see, Jesus didn't just deal with my sin and the wages of my sin, but he dealt with the shame of my sin as well. That's why they strip him. They shame him. They mock him. They ridicule him. Why? For you. He does it for you. So that actually as you come to him in repentance and he deals with your sin, he wants to deal with your shame as well. And if shame is linked to guiltiness, that's why we as God's people can say, do you know what? I no longer have to feel shame for the wrong things that I've done in my life. Why? Because I no longer stand guilty before my heavenly father. Because of the perfect sacrifice of his son. See, in sin made us cover ourselves up because of shame. But Jesus deals with it. Because he deals with sin and he's stripped naked and it's like the reverse of genesis chapter 3 the verses that we've read it's like the reverse of what adam did christ has undone for you first adam when god came like a typical man when god comes in verses 12 of chapter 3 god comes and he says you know what have you done and like a typical man Woman, it's not me. It's the woman you gave me. It's your fault and her fault. I didn't do it. Some of us are looking at our partners and our dads and we, we understand what's going on here. Typical man, can't take the blame for anything. You, you've eaten off the tree that I commanded you not to. No, 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 no. You gave me a woman, God, and she tripped me up. It's her fault. And God speaks to the woman and that's the serpent. It's the creature that you made. It's, it's, it's his fault. That's what sin and shame does. We're deflecting. We don't want anyone to look at us because we're ashamed. We're pointing away. It's them. It's, it's that person. It was that situation. Don't look at me. Deflect, deflect, deflect. That's what the first Adam does. He points away from himself and points to his bride. And friends, I want you to hear this this morning. The second Adam does the complete opposite of that. The first Adam says, God, don't look at me, look at my bride. But the second Adam, he says, God, don't look at my bride, look at me. You see what Jesus is doing? He's undoing all that Adam did. Don't look at my bride, Father, look at me. Let me be guilty for her shame. Let me be guilty for her sin. Let me carry everything that was meant for her so that she can have all that was always mine in glory. Let me take her guilt so she can be free. And shame can be the memory of sins committed long ago. And often, the devil knows, friends, the power of the cross. And he comes and he tries to use shame as a tool to trip us up. 
And you know what? It's not a coincidence. There's times that you know we're doing really well in life, we're feeling really close to God, and then all of a sudden a memory pops into our head. Remember that time you said that to that poor wee lady? What would people think in your church if they knew about that? That's shame. That's Satan. That's his plans. But because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, we're no longer guilty. And he takes our shame and he makes us clean and he washes us clean. And we no longer feel the imprint of sin or shame upon us anymore. And I wonder even, and we're going to begin to kind of wrap things up this morning, I wonder even if we are, when we're, as we're speaking just now, what are the things that are coming into your head? What are the things that you're being convicted of or reminded of? What are the things of shame that, 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 that you carry that actually that you don't want to carry anymore? And God doesn't want you to carry them either. He wants you to lay them at the foot of the cross this day so that you can enter into the fullness of all that God has for you. Is it something that you said that can't be unsaid? And actually, it, it, it's like a dagger in your heart every time you remember it. I can't believe I said that thing to that person and I can never get those words back. I don't know. Is it an abortion? You know, these are the things that God has been laying in my heart this morning, things that we might feel guilty or shameful for. Is it something that you did to get even with someone? That actually they wronged you and you thought, you know what, I'm going to wrong them even more. And still to this day you feel guilty and you feel ashamed of it. Is it a lie that you spread that actually you spoke something, you gossiped and you know it wasn't true and that has gone and it's changed someone's life? Is it an affair that you had? Is it an addiction? See, friends, these are the things that we need to start dealing with as a church. We need to get past the surface-level Christianity and begin to touch things that are sore, that are hard, that, you know, they end up making us emotional, that we think, do you know what, I, I just can't deal with that. Friends, you don't have to deal with it. Christ already has. Just give it to him. Give it to him be free. Be free of your sin and be free of your shame. He doesn't want you to carry it. You don't have to wear it as some sort of badge of guilt. He bestows upon you good things. Enter into the fullness and hear Jesus say, my beloved, I dealt with all of that at the cross for you. Be free. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. I know he's going to come, and I know he's going to say, remember that thing you did? Remember that wrong you did? But friends, if you've repented, if you've been forgiven by Christ, we stand forgiven at the cross. And he says, look at what you did. And you just have to say, Satan, gospel 101. It's not about what I did. It's all about what he did. Look at the cross. See Jesus being stripped. See Jesus undoing what the first Adam did. First Adam said, God, it's not me, it's the woman. It's my bride, it's my wife. Second Adam says, Father, let me go in her place. Let me redeem all the stuff that she's done so that she can be free. Laid at the cross. How can he forgive me? If I can't forgive myself, well, I ask you from the other point of view, 
how can you how can you not forgive yourself if he already says you are forgiven you're forgiven in christ bearing shame and scoffing root shame be gone you're not welcome here and i know time is marching on this morning but i pray that you just give me a wee bit of grace we're going to watch a wee video just now uh, and, and I pray that as we watch this video, it's called I Speak Jesus, that actually, friends, that we would speak the name of Jesus over every area of our lives, that even as we listen and hear the words and watch the words on the screen, that we would even feel just the, the cleansing, love, and forgiving nature of our Father in heaven wash over us afresh, taking all our sin, but also all our shame that isn't ours to carry. Let's watch this video.
Jesus, we thank you that there is power in your name. Bring healing to our hearts, we pray. Amen.